You were singing, weren't you? I could tell. Good morning, everyone. Okay, um, we're going to start our new sermon series uh, today, which will just run us through this Christmas period. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Before we get into that, I just want to draw your attention to the over here. Have you noticed it? Yeah. We have a huge Christmas tree, which I just want to point out. The, um, we had four people here yesterday for how many hours, Kate? About three hours. Kate and Phil and Melanie and Charlie who decorated that tree, so I think they did a fabulous job. If you've seen them around church, please uh, say so. And then we had this sleigh built up. This is Matt and Phil Yates. Matt built it, Phil painted it and made it look lovely, which is kind of be used for messy Christmas uh, later. But they've done an awesome job on that. And so if you see them around, a big thank I don't think anyone's actually in the room. Kate's in the room, but no one else. Oh, and Charlie's at the back there, but Matt and Phil <laughs> and Melanie aren't here. If you see them, please say thank you, well done. They did a wonderful job. It looks brilliant, and the kids are going to love that later. I think there's going to be photos. You can take photos with Olaf and, you know, make kids Christmas that well. So that's what we're going to do. All right, our Christmas series. If you've got a Bible, can you turn to Isaiah chapter 9, please? Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I checked this morning. Um, on the internet, and I found, I think it's 17 days to go to Christmas. I think when I looked, it was 17 days, 6 hours, or something ridiculous. No, 16 hours, or something like that. It was till Christmas, so I had this countdown, and I don't know what you're dreaming about for your Christmas. I don't know what you're hoping for as you look towards Christmas, because there's a lot of, not much time left, it's running out. So maybe you're thinking and dreaming about um, time with family. I don't know if you've planned where you're going or what's happening for Christmas. In our family, it's a little bit of a military operation trying to get everyone in, but we've kind of got a plan, and we're going to be catching up with family in various parts of the country. Maybe you're dreaming about presents that you may be getting. I don't know if you've thought about, mm, that would be nice for Christmas, because it's a time of giving, isn't it? And for everyone to give, you have to receive. And so we encourage that. And so you might think, oh, am I going to get this present? Am I going to get that present? Have you made Christmas lists? Has someone, one of your nearest and dearest asked you, what would you like for Christmas? Are you looking forward to a bit of holiday, a bit of a break, a bit of time off, thinking, do you know what? Have I just got to make it till then? And I get a break, and, and this happens. I get a bit of a break from work. Anyone looking forward to snow? Are we going to have some snow? No? I don't know if we are. I don't know. I just... That's what everyone thinks about at Christmas, especially if it's going to be a white one. And so we've got lots of hopes and dreams we look forward to at Christmas. And at this time of year, actually, we look beyond there as well. Because right after Christmas, you get the new year. 2015 kicks off. And people at the beginning of the year, you have all these hopes and dreams. What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve in 2015? What are your hopes and dreams for your career? What are the hopes and dreams in terms of relationships? What about your hopes and dreams for your children or your grandchildren or travels you might be taking? And it's a time to kind of think and dream about that. And it's sort of encouraged at this time of year in our culture. And what we want to look at over this sermon series is hopes and dreams that we find in the Bible. Because if we read our Old Testament, which is before the time of Jesus, before Jesus came, it's full of hopes and dreams. It's full of people looking forward to something bigger and greater that is going to come. There's always something... There's a, there's a sense of we're waiting for something coming, and we know as Christians that was the coming of Jesus. But back hundreds of years before Jesus was born, they didn't know. They just knew there was something coming. There was someone coming who was going to deal with it. They didn't know what it would look like. There were hints within it. And what we're going to look at today and next week is a little bit of a section from Isaiah. Then next week we'll look a little bit from Micah, the prophet Micah, about where they had, the people of God had hopes and dreams, looking forward, thinking, 
One day this Savior is going to come. One day this Messiah is going to come. One day this chosen one of God is going to come and change things here. And they looked forward to it. They had this hope and this longing. But the interesting thing we need to work out is that when they, have, when they talk about hope in the Bible and dreams in the Bible, it's not a worldly pie-in-the-sky hope. It's not like we often have hopes that are a bit, you know, kind of a bit fanciful. I don't know about one of my hopes, one of the things I thought about this week as I was preparing this and Christmas were coming, and it was like we were doing Christmas presents and Mel said, oh, what would you like for Christmas? If we, going, if we could go really crazy, what would be nice for Christmas? And I thought, do you know, those new iPads look really quite cool, don't they? they I, my parents have got one and I play one and I think they're just, they're really nice. They're really nice. But do you know what they also are? Really expensive. I mean, like, really expensive. And I looked one of them up and I was like, wow, that's our entire Christmas budget gone for the entire family, not just our family, all my extended family and the food. So we can either give gifts to everyone and eat or I can have an iPad. That, that's kind of, that was the decision I got to and it's like, you know, I thought maybe that's probably not the best thing. And so my hope is fanciful. It's a bit silly. It's airy-fairy. It will not come true. But biblical hope is something that's rooted in foundation. So let's imagine that I got home today after the, the chaos of messy Christmas and Mel's at home with the boys. And I kind of come in and, and they're at the back of the house. So you can come in the house and they don't, sometimes don't notice you've come in. And I take a peek into our kitchen and I see on the table in our kitchen a new iPad in the box. It's like, ooh. And Mel's there with the boys saying, look what I got for daddy. And they're like, let's wrap it up. So they wrap it up. And Mel wraps things very nicely. And then she does a bow around it and a... And it, you know, makes it look pretty. They write a card to Daddy, lots of love, Melanie and the boys. And they go and put it under our Christmas tree, which we put up. Suddenly, my hope is built on something a little bit more certain. My hope now is built on something I've seen. And I look under the tree and I see that present there. I can't see it clearly now because it's covered in wrapping paper. And it's hidden among the other presents behind the tree. But you know what? I have a solid hope now. I have a hope that come Christmas Day, come 17 days, 16 hours time... When we get up in the morning, guess what I'm going to be opening? I'm going to be opening my my presents, and I'm going to be getting this new iPad, and it's going to be a wonderful, glorious day. And that's what biblical hope is like. Biblical hope is based on a certainty, something that is solid, something that, that you know is going to happen. It's not just some pie in the sky, oh, wouldn't it be nice, that so much human hope is built on. It's built on something rock solid. And what we're going to look at this week and next week, we're going to look at a couple of prophecies that were spoken hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, talking about him coming, talking about him coming to earth and being this saviour that had been promised to God's people. And this is something that the people of God put their hope in, but it was a rock-solid hope, a firm foundation. So if you found your Bible, let me just have a little, um, let's read the passage. Isaiah 9. Now the context of this passage is, God, let's take the quick, the brief history of God's people. He's He created the heavens and the earth. He put Adam and Eve in the garden. And he said to them, fill the earth and subdue it. Great mandate. So they want to multiply, fill the earth. But what happens is, we find in Genesis 3, after only two chapters, it all goes terribly wrong. They rebel against God. They choose their own way. They they rebel and say, we're not going to have your authority over our lives. Even though you're good and you created us, we're going to choose to go our own way. And they believe the lies of the enemy, Satan, and sin comes in and shatters everything. Shatters their relationship with God, shatters their relationship with one another, shatters their relationship with creation. Everything is broken. It's all gone wrong, three chapters into the Bible. And God is like, okay, what do I do? But immediately God speaks into that and said, I will send one who will crush the serpent. I will send one. And already the promises begin. There is going to be one coming. And the people of God multiply. 
and they fill the earth, all that God has created, then God picks one. He says, Abraham, he says, do you know what? Out of you, I'm going to bless the nations of the earth. Out of you, one is going to come to save everybody. And Abraham becomes this man of promise. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. And through him, we're going to, you're going to have a line that is going to change the world. So Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons who then go down into Egypt. By the end of Genesis, they then multiply into a mighty nation, million-plus people in Egypt. But they're slaves. They're slaves. Pharaoh, the cruel Pharaoh, enslaves them, and they make them work for him as slaves in Egypt. Then we get the beginning of Exodus. What happens? God sends Moses, another chosen man. He says, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. We have the whole events of beginning of Exodus, plagues, etc., coming out, Red Sea, they part. Then God now has his people and says, do you know what? I'm gonna, you're now my people. You're going to worship me. He gives them the law, and they become identified as people. He said, I'll put my heart upon you. You are mine. You're my treasured possession. And they grow multiple. He said, I'm going to take you to the land I promised Abraham. So under Joshua, they enter the land. They conquer the land. They settle in the land. Then they have the period of the judges who rule them. And then they say, you know, we want a king to rule over us. God gives them a king, Saul. Saul then has, is, kind of goes off the rails. They get another king, David. David, the mighty warrior David, the great king of God's people, who was the one who kind of extended the borders of Israel, kind of defeated the enemies. He was, he was great. Then David had a son. His name was Solomon. Solomon then became king in David's place. And Solomon ruled over the height of Israel's power. It had wealth, it had peace, it had prosperity. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He was kind of, he was the wealthiest guy and it was just, it was a golden age of Israel and it was just a wonderful time. But at the end of his life, Solomon went a bit off the rails and as soon as Solomon died, the kingdom split. God's people split into two groups. There was a northern kingdom called Israel, there was a southern kingdom called Judah and they had kings each that progressively got worse and worse and worse. They basically decided not to follow God, and it was occasionally there was a good king, but generally it was a downward trajectory of bad stuff. And the northern kingdom at this time, despite, you know, despite God calling them back to himself and them going away from God, the Assyrians, another nation, basically came to enslave and conquer God's people. And it's in this context that Isaiah prophesies. This is about 730 years before the birth of Christ, and Isaiah is speaking into his, into his people. And the northern kingdom of Israel... God's chosen people, they are under oppression. They've been attacked. They've been kind of devastated. The Assyrians have come in and just laid waste to the place and then cleared off. And it's not long before the Assyrians actually annihilate the kingdom completely and it's wiped out. It ceases to exist. That was just 722 BC. So it's just before that. And Isaiah is speaking into this situation. So we've got chapter 9, verse 2. He says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it 
with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right. So it's been a bad time for the people of God. Uh, It's not gone well. But into this, the prophet Isaiah speaks, and he speaks a message of hope. Well, first thing just to notice about the passages, all the stuff that goes on the passage is God's activity. There's nothing to do with the activity of man. It's all God working. So the people of God are in a difficult bind. They're, they're in a place of oppression by an enemy, and God speaks in and says, I'm going to do something about it. And it's a message of hope. It's a message of something good is coming, something better is coming. And God, uh, the, the prophet uses the images of light and dark. It says, you've been in darkness, but there will be light. It's similar to what we've been seeing in the Gospel of John. And it says the people have been walking in darkness. So they've been basically going about their daily lives. And he describes it as darkness because it's been so bad. The Assyrians have come. People have been dead. Crops will have been devastated. It will have been a horrible time. And a land of darkness, and it's, it's not going good. But here's the thing I want you to notice about this message of hope. Everything's in the past tense. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The light has dawned on them. It says, You have enlarged the nations. What's the reality here? No, it hasn't. (laughs) No, it hasn't. It's really quite bad at the moment. God, so it's a prize. You're prophesying this stuff. And actually, do you know what? It's, It's a mess. Just look around. There's a reality of what you can see. The Assyrians are coming. They're in control. And actually saying, no, this has happened. And what we've got here is we've got the word of God speaking to situation with such force that events are in the future are spoken as if they've happened. Because when God speaks about a situation, when he breaks into a situation and says, this is what's going to happen, you can speak about it in the past tense because it's like money in the bank. It's going to happen. It's not a, well, you know, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and sort this situation. I know it's bad for you, Israel, but I'm going to try and sort it out. The prophet might say, no, you can speak with such force that it has happened. It's going to happen. It's money in the bank for you people. And the prophet speaks with such force, saying, this light has dawned because God has decreed it. We read about in the Bible that actually God's plan was set in eternity past. Before it all kind of came about, he'd already set a plan to have a people for himself. And he's saying, it's going to come about. In the heart of God, it's already been established. It's already happened. This light will dawn. It will come. This nation will be enlarged. And there will be rejoicing amongst you. And the allusions he puts in there are to Solomon's reign. The illusions of, of that multiplied nation, increased joy, joy of the harvest and despair in the spoil. The people would hear him would have been thinking back to King Solomon who was their great king who presided over a nation where it says there's bits in there where it talks about almost things of value became less value. Things like silver became almost of no value because it was so, there was so much of it. It didn't become a precious metal any all because it was like everyone and their dog had silver. It was like, silver, big deal. It used to be worth money. Now there's so much of it. There's so much wealth around for so many peoples. It's almost lost its value because things were going so well. It was an age of wisdom where people would travel from over, all over the world, dignitaries, just to listen to Solomon speak out words of wisdom. He wrote the Proverbs and books in there, and the people came to learn from him. It was a time of peace, and that people would just would rejoice, and the harvest was great, and there was abundance, and there was plenty of food going around. And um, the prophet's saying, do you know what? There's a time coming 
that's going to be like that. And it's so sure that it's going to come that I can talk about it in the past tense. What a message of hope for the people who were struggling at that time. There will be victory over their enemies. It talks about plunder. You're going to divide the spoil. The enemies of Assyrians are you're going to take what's theirs. They're not going to rule over you. They're not going to control you. You're going to have theirs. And this, this kind of points at the challenge of the Christian life. We live, we live in two kind of worlds. We live in an earthly world which we can see everything around us, but we're also connected to a heavenly spiritual reality because we've been born again into that. We've been born into a, a new kingdom. We are new creations. We've been born of the Spirit, it says. So there's something dynamically different about it. And we live in a reality that we can see, but we're connected to a reality that ca- we cannot see, but is just as real. And in fact, it's probably more real because one day it will triumph and we will see it completely. And so we live in this funny dynamic. And if we overemphasize one, we get into a problem. If we overemphasize kind of the earthly, all we do is kind of we're concerned about the here and the now. We're concerned about everything that's going on now and don't care at all about the future. If we connect too much about heavenly reality, we don't actually become interested in anything that is going on. The fact that people are suffering or there's war or disease or whatever, we just, we're not interested because we're so kind of clued on the future. The challenge of us is to live in this tension of saying, We've got to be aware of what's happening now, but we've also got to be gripped totally by what happens in the future. So we look at the world now, and we see the situation and the issues and the problems, just like these guys would have here. They would have known the Assyrians were over them, were controlling them, were, they were a threat of invasion. But at the same time, they to be gripped by a heaven reality that one day, something God is going to break through in such power and authority, and it's so sure that the reality of the age to come will break in like Solomon's age and they can be part of it. And we as Christians need to live that life. We need to live the life now of saying, right, what are we going to do for people now? How are we going to bless people? How are we going to care for our neighbor? How are we going to be good workers at our jobs when we go to work tomorrow? It's actually, you know, we've got to be, we've got to be well. How do we raise our kids now? And connected with the real world and what's going on. But at the same time, be so gripped by a future of the power of God that we can actually use that to affect the now. And they they overlap. It's why we want to pray for people who are suffering. So I want to pray for you if you're sick and see the power of God break in and see you healed. It's why we want to care for the poor. It's why we want to love our neighbors and see God's life break in and transform. Because there is an age to come that's going to take over everything. And we want people to be connected to that. We want people to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to be more than just consistent with the kind of the consumerism of Christmas that drives us into one thing, but actually say, no, there's so much more. There's so much bigger. And hopefully over this time of Christmas, we'll challenge people, we'll love people, we'll bless them. But hopefully at the same time, we'll say, look across life. There is so much more at what is going on. And the prophet is saying to these people who are down at this time, saying, lift up your eyes and look at it. And my challenge to us today is, where are your eyes? What reality are you living at? What's going on in your life right now? Is there something that has gripped you because it's a present thing in your life to the point where a heaven reality behind it has faded into nothing? Is there something, a pressure that's on your life? It might be a health pressure, a financial pressure, a work one, a relationship one. Even Christmas might be a time that pushes on it. Christmas can be a great time, but if you've got a relational breakdown or a pressure you're under, actually it can, um, what's the word, kind of exacerbate it and make it so much more kind of real and painful. And my challenge to you is where are you looking? 
Because in those situations, that's when we need to look to Jesus. And actually one day, God is going to wrap it all up. He's going to work all the things out. All the wrongs will be righted. There'll be no more crying and no more tears and no more pain, even what you're facing now. And it's a time now we can stand with one another and pray and intercede that God would even break into that now and do something about it now. So if that's you, I want to just challenge you to think about that. And we'd love to pray with you at the end. We'd love to pray and say, actually, if you need the power of God working in your life now, we want to pray and see that come about and see God's active activity in your life. Then the prophet goes on. He set this message of hope before them, but the natural response is, great, this is really exciting. What does it look like? He gives three things for this message. What does it look like? What does this hope involve? The first one is liberation. It says in verse 4, For the yoke of his burden, the staff of the shoulder, and the rod of the oppressor have been broken on the day of Midian. Two things there, allusion. The first one is Exodus, when they were in Egypt. The rod and the oppressor and the yoke, that's all kind of slavery language. The time they were slaves was in Egypt over a cruel tyrant Pharaoh, and God delivered him. The second one is Midian, which refers to um, a guy named Gideon, one of the judges, one of the famous judges who led um, the people of Egypt against a foe called the Midianites, who were oppressing God's people. And ironically, um, that was in the same area that the northern kingdom was in. So the prophet knows what he's doing in talking about deliverance of Gideon. It was the same area. It was something that happened in Israel's past many hundred years before, but actually it was this area. God has delivered us in this area that he's talking about. And God, he said, we will bring liberation for your enemies. So the fact that you're under oppression now, this dawning of light, this hope, means you'll be liberated. You will not be under slavery anymore. God is going to come and break the enemies and destroy it, and it's worth looking at. The second thing he said is he's going to bring peace. He says all the boots of the warriors and the garments rolled with blood, they're going to be destined for burning. They're going to be taken out. There's going to be no more fighting. This is, again, looking back to Solomon's reign. David is one of the great kings, but he was a warrior. He'd have made a good film to watch. I'd have watched a film of David's life because you're basically fighting all the time. And he'd have been beating his enemies, and it'd have been an epic scene, like Lord of the Rings battles. You know what I mean? And I'd have watched that. Solomon's wouldn't have been a very interesting film, but it would have been a great time to live. Because in Solomon's time, everything was good and fine, and everyone had plenty to eat, and you know, everyone just went about life was great. But actually, he's saying there's going to be a time of peace. There'll be no more fighting like David. There'll be a fighting. Uh, there'll be peace. There'll be an end to that. There'll be no more fear of it. There'll be no more kind of like, what's going to happen? What's, where are our enemies? It's going to be wound up. Characteristic of Solomon's reign. But he's saying there's one greater than Solomon who's coming. There's one greater than Solomon's coming. And when he comes, there's going to be peace. What did the angels say? when they arrived in Luke 12 at the birth of Christ. Peace on earth and goodwill to men, didn't it? Peace on earth on those who'd been um, his favor rest. But actually, there's one who's going to come in who's going to bring that peace. That peace, and he's saying, there's going to be a peace like a peace of Solomon that's going to come to you. There's going to be a peace that's going to come to you as a people beyond what you, would have, you think about in the past. And the final one, he says, a king is going to come. So we're going to have liberation for our enemies. We're going to have peace. But who's going to rule over this? Verse 6. For us, a child is born. For us, a son is given. One greater than Solomon is going to come. Solomon was wise. He was rich. He was powerful. And he said one much greater than that is going to come. And the interesting thing, he's going to be great from the moment he was born. From a child. He's not going to be great because of what he grows up into. Solomon was great at the end of his life when he was a man and he had learned and he had accumulated. This one is going to be great from the moment he is born. 
And the hope doesn't rest on what man can do, it, it rests on what God has done. And this child is going to be born, there's something special about this child, because he said he's going to be born, so he's going to be human, but he also says he was given. He's a son who's been given, so that means he's divine as well. This child who's going to be born is one who is both human and divine, and he is going to come, and it says he is going to bear the weight of government. It's going to be on his shoulders, which means all rulership and authority and power will rest on this man, and he will come, and he will come and rule about him. And what's this guy going to be like? He's going to be a great, from this moment he's birth, he's going to rule and reign, and it says four things about him. It said he's going to be a wonderful counselor, which basically means supernatural counsel. Solomon wrote the Proverbs that we have in our Bible. This one is going to be greater than that. The wisdom he has, he'll be the one who speaks the very words of God, gives the very counsel of God to you. He says he's going to be mighty, a mighty God, which means he is going to move in incredible power. He's going to speak the very words of God, but he's going to move in the very power of God on what he does when he goes around. Who does this sound like? It says he's also going to be an everlasting father. Now, this is unusual for the Old Testament. They don't talk about God as father. God is referred to as father as the father of a nation in a kind of general sense, but not in a personal sense. So this one who comes is actually going to bring a way to God as father. There's going to be something incredible about the, what the dynamic he brings, that you can have an intimate relationship with God as Father. And it's going to be an everlasting Father. So it's not going to be something temporary. It's something that's going to go on and on. So you're going to, he's going to open up the way of a relationship, a personal relationship with God. Because at that point, Israel relates to God as a corporate identity. They all related kind of together. They were the people of God. He said, he's going to open up for you to have your own personal relationship with God. And then finally it says he's going to be the prince of peace. There's that peace again. There's going to be that fulfillment. Peace isn't just merely an absence of war. It's, it's a, a knowing, a contentment that you are, you are kind of, you are reconciled to God. You are connected with God, that you have peace with him because that's the greatest peace that we can have, isn't it? Peace with God. And so this is who's going to come and it says he's going to rule over a kingdom that will what? never end. It will have no end. It will occupy all space and all time and it will go on forever. There's nothing that's going to be outside his rule. There's going to be nothing that's going to be outside his control. When he comes, he will control everything. He will have all authority and all power over all things. He'll have power over the demonic order. He'll have power over the created order. He'll have power over sickness and disease. He'll have power over human authorities that would set themselves up against him. He will be the one who rules and reigns with power, and his enemies will not be able to stand against him. And he will establish a place of justice and righteousness, all the things of God, right standing with God and right kind of commands and edicts coming from God that will not be corrupted at all. And the enemies of God will just have no place with him. And that's the one coming. And this is the message of hope that Isaiah the prophet is speaking to his people. And they get to look with the eye of faith and say, this is one day is what's going to come. So much greater than we've seen. But we as believers here in the New Testament, we know what this all means. We all know who he was talking about. We know he was pointing towards Jesus. We know that he came as the, the prophet predicted, we know he lived. We know he kind of, he walked the earth and did these things. He explained incredible power. He spoke the words of God. He brought peace and healing and deliverance to those who are around him. He did all those things. He died and then he demonstrated the ultimate authority by breaking death and sin and saying, I'm back again. They couldn't even kill me. 
in a resurrected, glorified body. Then he went over and he commissioned the church to carry on his work, which is what we're doing here today. And there are three quick things I want to apply and then we'll finish. Number one, Jesus is the true hope of the world. Jesus is the true hope of the world. You can put your hope in many things, many sort of people and places. You could put your hope in your family. A lot of people put all their kind of hope in family, raising their children, making sure they, you know, that's good right. Almost the family becomes the God they worship. We can put our hope in man's intrinsic kind of worth and the fact that we can try and be good people and good to one another and that sort of feeling comes out at this time of year doesn't it we want to man is just good we're just good people and we want to be good to one another we can put it in philosophical ideas or philosophical political beliefs we can put it in kind of education what if we teach people and they learn we can put it in things like the end of poverty and the end of sickness and disease if we just eradicate that everything's going to be all right but the reality is the bible says hope is only found in one place and that's a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. That's where hope is found. That was the hope of the world when Jesus came. And that's what the prophet was talking about. He says, when that child is born, and who that child is to be, that's where we can put our hope. That's when light is going to dawn and we're going to see it. That's when everything is going to change. And our challenge to you today is, where is your hope? What have you put your hope in at this time of year as we look towards Christmas? Is your hope in Jesus? Because that's the only place, that's the only one that's going to last because everything else will ultimately buckle and fail. None of those things I mentioned are bad, family or man, or ideals or education or eradicating poverty. Yeah, all behind all that, but they all come under one hope, Jesus Christ. And he is the ultimate hope. And if you don't know Jesus here today, I want to challenge you. I want to say he's the only one that's going to work for your life. And I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in him. And if you want to do that, I'd love to chat with you at the end about what that means. The second thing, Jesus brings liberation and peace to the world. The biggest problem facing the world today, I don't know if you ask people what they would say, war, global terrorism, global warming, uh, famine, third world debt, etc., etc. What's the biggest problem? The biggest problem we face is not physical, it is spiritual. It is the problem of sin, the Bible says. It's our rebellion against the holy God. It's our desire to rule and not let him rule, even though he's the one who created us and he is infinitely good, perfect, and right to do so. And we are in bondage to that, the Bible says. We are slaves to that. We are slaves to sin. And that is something that everybody is, not just good, bad people. Oh, they, they have a problem, clearly. Everybody has it. And Jesus' death on the cross dealt with that. Jesus' resurrection from the death proved that. And so we can be free from sin. We can be free from guilt. The Bible calls that justification. Not guilty. We can be declared through Christ. We can, be, we can have peace with God. Reconciliation, the Bible calls that. We can have a relationship with God where we're actually under his righteous just, um, judgment and punishment, the Bible says. But we can have that. And we can enjoy that. And so God brings the only peace um, that we really need. And our question today is, do you need that peace and freedom? If you're not a Christian, you really need it. You need it. You need to come to God. We need to repent of your sin. You need to turn around. You need to go the other way. You need to make him Lord of your life. Get that dealt with. No peace, no freedom. But if you're a believer here, my question to you is, where do you need peace right now? Is there an area of your life that you need peace? Because he is the prince of peace. It says that we can have the peace of God that passes understanding 
guard us, fortify us, protect us in times of trouble. Are there things you're facing now that are not bringing you peace? We'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you at the end. Do you need freedom? Is there something that has got you and bound you? And you know what that is because you're thinking about it right now. So if that is you, you just know it. If there is something that's bound you, take this opportunity today to deal with it before God. Bring it to him. Repent of it. It's sinful. If it's bound you and it's not of God, it's bad. We can be slaves to righteousness. That's a good thing. Slaves to bad patterns of behavior and stuff. That's a bad thing. And we want to be free from that because Jesus is the only one who brings freedom. We'd love to deal with that today. And the third and final thing, Jesus is the true king of the world. He is the one who rules over everything. His government peace is going to be no end. He is king over your life, whether you like it or not. And as, as history bears out, it will, you will have a decision where you, 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 um, you willingly bow before him or you're not so willingly, but you will bow before him because he is the king of everything. My question today is, are you willing to bow before this king? I went to say, yeah, I give up everything to you because everything that you have is his. Your family, your relationships, your job, all the presents you're going to get for Christmas and all the ones you're going to give, all those things are his. And he has rightful rule and reigning over everything. And he has, you know, he has control over those things and he has authority over things. And so are there things that you need to give up that you're trying to rule and reign? Are there situations in your life you think, do you know what, I'd like to be in charge of that. <laughs> God, I think I can do a better job. Hands up who's been there. Yeah, thank you. Three of you, honest people. We've all tried to say, I know how to do this, God. I can deal with this. Are there things that you need to give up and give over to God and say, Lord, you're the king. You're the one who's ruling. You're the one who knows the best about all this. Do you want to stand up? Let me just go through those stuff. And I want to do, I want, I think the, the spirit of God is here. And I believe he's going to need to do some business with some of you. Do you want to just close your eyes? Okay, just let the Spirit of God minister you for a moment. Just the Holy Spirit comes to convict, to deal, also comes to bring the love of the Father to us, so we know that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. First and foremost, number one, Jesus came that we might have relationship with him. That's the big one. And if you're here and you know you're a believer, just enjoy that for a second. Just enjoy that for a second. God came that you may have a relationship with him. He died on the cross so that you would know him and know him forever. And God, he also came that that relationship would be an everlasting relationship and it would be an ever-deepening relationship. It's not something you just kind of get and then that's it. It's an ever-growing one. Think of it like an escalator that kind of keeps rising. You keep, you know, you keep getting more closer to Jesus even if you fall over you still keep rising and that's what he wants for you and he loves you and he's desperate to get to know you and spend more time with you here if you're not a believer here then actually you, you don't have that and I want to offer that to you and if you feel like you want that please just take this time to talk to God deal with him say yes I want that in my life I'm not going to go my own way anymore I'm going to give up being in charge I'm going to give it over to you done that I'd love to chat with you at the end
if you are a believer here, which is most of us, I just want to just talk to you about this one who came, this baby in a manger, who was promised for hundreds, hundreds of years beforehand. He came that we might be free from sin. That's good news, right? He came that we might be free from sin. And that's sin in all its forms. We've got the, when you become a Christian, the penalty's dealt with. But it seems we still spend our life fighting battles in areas. And if you need freedom now from that, I just want you to do your business with God. Repent of your sin, bring it to all Him and say, I want to be free. I don't want to have to deal with this junk. It might be a bad attitude you have against a person. You're thinking about that person right now, if that's you. It might be a habit, an action, just, you know, maybe just an anger against someone or an unforgiveness or a bitterness. I've been there. People who did stuff many years ago that you still hold a grudge towards. If you still feel that, just bring that to him and say, God, just, I just want to forgive that person. I want to be free from this. Forgive me for holding on to it. It's not my right to do so. If you've got a situation in your life that is causing you stress and there's no peace, I pray that the peace of God comes on you for that. If it's a health situation, if it's a work situation, if it's a family situation, Lord Jesus, we pray that the Spirit of God come upon that. If you're just peace about, you know, I don't know where my work's going to go, threat of redundancy or I can't find work, just bring that to God now. Let His peace come upon you. It's a family relationship that you're thinking it's just not right and I'm just not settled about it. Lord, we pray for reconciliation now and the Spirit of God to come on that. If any of that's kind of touched you, maybe you just want to just put your hands up, open your hands to Jesus and let him just start ministering to you by his Spirit about what's going on. Um, as Stuart was speaking, I was just given a picture of... Um, a wall with cracks in it which I've got in my house at the moment and I've been desperately trying to polyfiller it over um, and you can sand it down and replaster it as much as you like and repaint over it and layer over it with things that you're trying to get your hope from so whether that's you think you've made a fresh start um, putting your faith and hope in things that aren't God that even when you've put layers and layers of wallpaper over it, there's still the cracks underneath and you need God to come into those cracks and fill it up because nothing else is going to do it. Cement's not going to do it, polyfiller's not going to do it and I just felt that God was saying there are people polyfillering over their cracks rather than letting him in because it really hurts and it's not nice to have cracks. You don't want to accept it and he wants to come in and be that liberation and be that peace that you're not going to get from plastering it over. That can, that can mean a lot of bunch of, a lot of different situations. But if you know that's you and you feel that you need God to come in and deal with things, hurts maybe from the past.
past or situations that you're ashamed of or I don't know what, work or anything, I think God's made an invitation for you there to say, I'm, I'm the one who can come and deal with that. So if that's you, do you want to just raise a hand? I'm just going to pray for you from here. I'm not going to ask you to do any more, but I just I want to know if God's speaking to people here and working in people's lives. So if that you, just want to pop a hand up and we'll just pray that the Spirit of God will come upon you. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you just come now and minister to us as a people. Lord God, go. Go down deep where we need you, Lord. Where those, those cracks, those hurts in our life. Lord, where we are stressed, would you bring peace? Where we are hurting, would you bring healing, Lord God? Where we are bound, would you bring bondage? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Would you bring liberation to bondage? There you go. Would you bring freedom? Would you bring freedom to us, Lord? Look, God, we want to say to you as your people today that you are Lord, that you are our Lord, that you are our King. You are our King. You rule and reign now. Whether we look at you as a baby in a manger or a king on the throne, or anywhere in between, God, you are our Lord and King. And we want to say today as a people, Lord, have, rule, have authority over our lives. Come and rule our lives. If you feel like that, why don't you just say that to Jesus? God, I just surrender it to you today. I surrender it all back to you today, Lord. You are Lord. You are the one in charge. You are the one ruling and reigning with authority, and you have it over my life, Lord.
There is one My friend Jesus, only one. My King Jesus, only one. My salvation has come. My salvation from Jesus has come. Yes, my healing salvation has come. My redeeming salvation has come. My release and salvation has come. Only Jesus, only one. My friend Jesus, only My King Jesus, yes, He has come. My King Jesus, He has come. Holy Jesus, my salvation has come. Holy Jesus, He has come. Life, we owe this life. We owe this life. 